Good morning. Good afternoon. What's going on, everyone? This is the Ty and Bob pod at golongtd.com. I'm your co-host, Tyler Dunn, here speaking virtually with Bob McGinn once again. Bob, how you doing? Back from good vacation. Morning. Feeling good? morning, good? Tyler. Back from, the, from New England. Yep, safe and sound, Pat and I. Road trip, correct. All driving. <laughs> we drove 1,800 miles, um, four nights in Burlington, Vermont, three nights in Laconia, New Hampshire, and four nights in Annapolis, Maryland. 1,800 miles. So that much driving, what are you listening to? What's the conversation like with Pat? How do you pass the time on the road? How does Bob McGinn travel? We did not turn on the radio, I think, until the eighth day when we drove on the zoo from Laconia down past uh, Boston, New York, Philly, and Baltimore. So, (laughs) no, we were just enjoying the landscape, enjoying the scenery and each other and just having a blast, bombing around in a, what do we have, a Toyota 4Runner from Avis. That's not the sign of a solid marriage. I don't know what is. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Travel that much and you don't even turn on the damn radio. Man. We never did. <laughs> and then I listened to some talk radio on the rat race down I-95 and wherever else AAA told us to go. So there we're listening to sports talk radio. What is it? W-E-E-I in Boston. And then WFAN New York. Hey, Gary and White Plains. <laughs> Did our old pal Greg Bernard call Yonkers. on the radio at all? <laughs> the Moose and Maggie show on WFAN, getting ready to rip the Yankees in case they lost the playoff game that night. Man, Dude, What's Garrett Cole's legacy going to be if he doesn't do the job tonight? Well, that's what the people got to know, right? Like, that's what the people got to know. Right out of the shoot, right? right the next day, we got to put legacies into perspective. Yeah, <laughs> but I asked, did did Greg Bedard pop on the radio at all? The my uh, predecessor. No, never at, heard him. Okay, because no. he does some stuff out there. I think it was all Brady all the time, and then all Yanks all the time. I will say this though. I remember, God, it was a clip that went viral with Bill Murray, who was just you know maybe the best ever to to do it. But he, he he crashed somebody's like bachelor party and he had advice for everybody that was there or wedding, whatever it was, bachelor party, wedding, it's out there somewhere. And they asked him for like relationship advice. And he said, what you have to do, if you think you're going to marry somebody, travel the world with that person, spend like spend tra- days upon days of travel with this person. And if you don't want to kill each other at the end of it, then that's your wife, basically. So, yeah. Pretty good call. Perfect test, right? It really is. I know me and Gina, we went to the Bahamas like a few months into dating and it, it was great. I'm like, all right, we're good to go. <laughs> Let me mention one other thing. You know, I've always loved that East Coast edge, man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and Mark Eckle, the old Eagle beat writer who worked with Charlie and uh, my son, Charlie and me on uh, our website. He adds that edge. I love it. So these guys are these radio hosts, right? <laughs> The caller's t- maybe getting a little long-winded, and they cut him off. Say, All right, get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man, it was unreal. All right, we better get to the point. It is time to find us. I mean, I love podcasting. Maybe we're driving people nuts right now by just telling stories and rambling. But, like, that's 
the difference between podcasting and radio is we don't have time constraints because we don't have sponsors and hard ins and hard outs. We can just <laughs> babble on and on. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's why podcasts are blowing up too. It's a little, maybe a little more uh, in depth, a little, a little smarter than that approach. We do have a really good guy here in, in Buffalo, two of them. I mean, uh, Chris Parker and Mike show up here in Buffalo. They, they do a fantastic job. It's a, it's uh, a smart radio program when it comes to the the bills and sabers. So don't want to yeah. bash everybody, but I hear you. That's kind of the, right. the way you're describing. All right. Well, kind of a uh, insane game in Cincinnati. Eh? I mean, that was, that was pretty crazy. We've seen these games out of Mason Crosby time and time again. It seems like every two, three years, he kind of has this, this weird game where he can't make a kick and he snaps out of it. And then he's right back to being one of the best kickers in the NFL. So I don't know. I, I don't think the Packers should worry. And my God, it sure took balls to tell the floor I've got this and go out there and win the game. So my takeaway is I I'm still all in on Mason Crosby. I, I think they've got their kicker and he'll be fine. Tell me I'm nuts. No, I, um, we're going to get into all this when it comes to the kickers, but you know, they need a better long snapper and that change could be coming, but we'll discuss that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they went on the road, 80 degree weather. Um, Cincinnati's only missing one starter in that game. The guard Sua Filo. Green Bay was down six. Now that ratio has all just been the reverse under Lafleur for his entire tenure. But, um, so that was, so they won shorthanded. These are good players. Um, I'm going to just repeat this in my little intro remarks. Tyler, this turnover thing against New Orleans, they're minus three. And the last four victories, plus two, plus two, plus one, plus one. So they're plus three now for the season. They win when they are plus and they lose when they're minus. And I used to think turnovers were, were luck when I first got on the beat a long time ago, but they're not luck at all. They're coached and their technique and their emphasis and, and their talent too. And so Green Bay has won that turnover thing under McCarthy all those years. That's how he dominated. And they're doing it now under LaFleur. Well said. One of those points where there's that part of our brains that want to say, yeah, it doesn't really, whatever, like duh, right? Don't turn it over. But you do have to emphasize it. There is a art and a science and a lot that goes into protecting the ball. So it's the game. Yeah. It is the game. Well, we'll definitely get into, uh, you know, position by position like we always do. I, I wanted to definitely talk about Devondre Campbell, though. Um, just the human side of this all before we get into the, the nitty gritty. I think I might have referenced it a few times on the podcast, at least mm-hmm. once on how we sat down after Atlanta blew the Super Bowl after 28 to three. I did a story at Bleach Report on how they were going to possibly pick up the pieces from that all and kind of spent a lot of time in Atlanta. And then Devondre Campbell's personal story was just so remarkable that I ended up doing like a separate profile on, on his rise and his life. Um, and he, he was one of the guys on that defense kind of willing to take charge and speak up and wanted to own this all and move forward. But I, I think he's obviously a guy that Green Bay is going to need to win a Super Bowl. Maybe their best playmaker on defense. I mean, we'll, you're going to be breaking it down here soon, but I mean, from even beyond the interception and in, in overtime, I mean, all over the field. And they picked this guy up off the streets. He, you know, 
came, came out of nowhere at the 11th hour and they're relying on him to really be a difference maker. I just think, Bob, it's worth uh, kind of noting here point to point on how he, he's really slipped through the cracks his entire life. It's, it's wild. It, and we were talking about it before we hit record. We write these stories and then we just completely forget about them. <laughs> like I, I couldn't remember any of this and it was blowing my mind here. But wow. yeah. So Devondre Campbell, he grows up in Fort, Fort Myers area. He actually raced against uh, Sammy Watkins in the 200 back in, back in high school. Really controversial. To this day, he says he beat Sammy Watkins. You know, he's a prodigy down there. Uh, he's convinced he beat him, but Sammy technically won, I guess. But um, his high school team stunk. He went to Cypress Lake High. They lost by 20, 30, 40 points a game. Nobody really cared about him. 13 sacks as a senior. He didn't get one questionnaire from a D3 school, let alone a visit to any school. Not even, a, he didn't, this is according to Devondre Campbell. He didn't get a questionnaire. We got questionnaires. <laughs> Everybody gets questionnaires. <laughs> um, not one. Uh, he had three head coaches over four years and won eight games in those four years. And those three head coaches didn't send tape to anybody like his own coaches wouldn't send tape out to potential recruiters, colleges, nothing. And we're talking about the state of Florida. So, you know, there's tons of talent down there. You think, you know, if you're good, you're going to get a shot. And he was completely ignored. The only thing that saved his football life was the John Kerrigan all-star classic. He had a pick six that was called back. He was the game MVP. There's a, you know, a million all-star games for high school football. Um, and a coach from Hutchinson Community College in Kansas afterwards came up to him and handed him a business card. So that was like his ticket. That was his only option. It, get, it gets crazier. It, I'm, it's, this is nuts. He gets out there to Kansas. It's in the middle of nowhere, you know, Siberia, like we've talked about, Green Bay used to. It's just way away from Florida. And he's 200 pounds at linebacker. And he smashes into a 300-pound polling guard completely blacks out. I mean, so he suffers a concussion, but this is like, this is a really severe concussion. He didn't wake up for 20 minutes inside the trainer's room, had to what? stay in a dark bedroom for three weeks. If he went outside at all, he had to wear sunglasses, blurry vision, his head throbbed. If he had a, for this is for, for a week long, if he had a simple conversation with, with friends, he said it triggered a piercing ringing in his skull and he'd completely forget that conversation five minutes later. So he's talking to friends. He's get, he gets this ringing completely forgets what they even talked about five minutes later. And okay. One second here. I got to pull up. Uh, got to pull up this quote. What did he say here? He said, quote, when I was laying flat on my back, it felt like my head was just, my brain was just, I don't know. I was effed up. When people say they have concussions, severe ones, I know what a severe one feels like. So this is bad. And you think, okay, then why even keep playing football, right? Nobody even really wanted you. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're going to risk your brain. There's no guarantee you'll even make this community college team in Kansas the following year. They only take so many out of state, I think like 12. And he said that he had to stay because he didn't want to go to the foreign buyers. And for people, I didn't really realize this. I got to know Sammy Watkins pretty well. And, you know, there's some pretty rough areas there. 
in Fort Myers and, you know, Sammy, a lot of his friends, they got caught up in a huge Rico case, friends and family. They're in jail for several years, but <laughs> Devondre Campbell was pretty damn honest. He said, quote, a lot of my friends were in jail. Back then I had the mindset that I was not getting a regular job. It was just not happening. If football didn't work out, there was only one other option, end quote. And I said, was that drug dealing? And he said, quote, yeah, I was not getting a job. Wow. So he would have gone back and just dealt drugs and we'd never hear from him. But he stayed. Yeah. <laughs> stayed at the community college. Um, had a big year. And the concussion, he said, actually was a blessing in disguise because then he had three years at Minnesota to impress the NFL. Um, he gets drafted 115th overall. I mean, it, it's just nuts. It keeps going on and on. I mean, his his mom had a he, he he lost track. It was either two or three heart attacks. Um, she woke up in the middle of the night and she couldn't breathe. This is when he was at college. He said if they didn't live five minutes from the hospital, she would have died. Um, before that, when he was a little kid, she had breast cancer. Uh, it's it all feeds a specimen that is able to last in the NFL now. I mean, it's been four years since we had this conversation and Mm. he got to know Chuck Smith, the former Atlanta Falcons D lineman really well. He's a trainer for a lot of guys. I think that helped him out a lot into the NFL. Um, Smith, Mm. I talked to him for this. He compared him to Cornelius Bennett, which really makes a lot of sense when you watch him play. I mean, you watch Cornelius Bennett, kind of similar in a lot of ways. And he just makes play after play after play. I, I don't think it's a coincidence when you really look at everything he's been through. I mean, it's just, Kind of boggles the mind. Wow, what a story! Yeah. So was he? Um, his career Minnesota was he? A, I can't remember. Was he a really good player up there? I think he was really good by that third year. I'm gonna pull up his numbers. Um, but I, that he really said by having that concussion, like it allowed him to develop for those three years to get to a place where the NFL would even want him. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean he. He, he played a good amount in 2013, uh, 39 tech was kind of a, you know, a backup role. And then he was able to start two full years, 75 okay. tackles, uh, six and a half for loss, 92 tackles, six and a half for loss with four sacks. So I think after that 2015 season, it's like, okay, you know, he's draftable and was Did very he have good. Interceptions, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries. You got that on there? He had an interception in each season. He had two forced fumbles in the three seasons, three fumble recoveries, one touchdown. Yeah. Not, 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 a, not a ton of big plays. Just um, yeah. rangy, a lot of tackles. Somebody yeah. saw something. Yeah. Boy, interesting. Yeah, he's really, really helped them, no doubt about it. Yeah, they, they need him too. It's, I mean, I remember when being on the beat out there, finding a linebacker was – a challenge then, you know, they weren't really going to take him in the first round necessarily. So yeah. Um, post AJ Hawk, they haven't really been able to find much and Hawk had his own troubles at times. All right, Bob. Um, I think for this episode, right. We usually do talk about other games and there's definitely games to talk about. That wasn't just a ridiculous finish last night, Baltimore, Indianapolis, what Lamar Jackson continues to do is unlike any quarterback in the league. Josh Allen slays his demons there at Arrowhead. Uh, I know the Chiefs defense is terrible, but Josh Allen was really, really good too. I, I think, you know, for the sake of this, because we've got a lot of Packers stuff to get into. If anybody wants to, you know, hear us break that down on our flagship Go Long podcast with Jim Monis, 
Uh, for those who don't know, Jim Monas worked in the front office of the Eagles of the Saints as a scout at both stops and then was the director of personnel with the Bills from late 2013 through 2017. Has a lot of perspective, especially when it comes to Mahomes and trading out of that pick. And he knows exactly how that went down. And we've talked about it, but we'll get into all things NFL on that podcast. Um, keep things to the Packers and Bengals here. Maybe a little Don Mikowski talk after that. And absolutely some uh, McGinn memories. So definitely check that out if you'd like. It's a lot of fun. We do it at Hamburg Brewing Company here in Western New York. Get a few IPAs inside of us and, uh, and hope for the best. So, Bob, I don't know where you want to start this. Uh, 25-22. You know, general takeaway, I'll, I'll probably come back to it, a point here, a point there with the Packers. We're all going to talk about the kicks and the ending and Cincinnati's kicker celebrating when his kick hit the flag and missed, which was pretty funny. Um, I don't, to me, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough win for green Bay on the road against a better than everybody thinks Bengals team. I feel like the talent around the quarterback shined. I think a lot of the decisions that general brand general manager, Brian Gutekinds has made were proven to be correct on both sides of the ball. I'm just watching this game. I'm seeing AJ Dillon, who we'll talk about AJ Dillon again, Bob. We'll talk about Dillon, seeing him do his thing. Aaron Jones, that 57 yarder. I don't know how many backs make those cuts that he made in the hole. I'm just thinking it's not so bad in green Bay. You know, it's not so bad. So he hasn't done that bad of a job building this roster. That's, that was the topic for six months, all off season. The GM has wronged the quarterback. I know some quarterbacks that would, as I think I wrote, would sell their soul for this situation in Green Bay. Players making big plays and big moments. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But I think this is a, uh, a damn good roster that can win a Super Bowl this season. It, to me, you know, Rodgers was great. I'm not taking anything away from him. But I think this game... Everybody around him elevated. It, it wasn't necessarily Rodgers with the Midas touch making everybody else special. I, I think players around him and even on defense um, proved the GM correct in this game. Yeah, uh, they were down three starting offensive linemen. Um, yeah, and they, they got a lot of injuries. I mean, well, let's let's go into the positions, Tyler. I'm I'm re ready to roll here. Okay. Let's start with wide receiver. So the footballs, let's just review that right off the top. It's, it's written on our, uh, on our newsletter, but all right. So the receivers got four and a half. The old line got four. The QBs got four. The RBs got four and a half. The D line got four. The linebackers got four. The DBs got three. The kickers got one. Special teams got two. Overall was four. So let's go to the receivers and the snap counts of uh, 64 snaps on offense. You got Devontae Adams, 58, Alan Lazard, 55, Randall Cobb, 35, Amari Rogers, five, Malik Taylor, four, and St. Brown had 12. And at tight end, you got Tunyon, 38, six with his hand down, Mercedes Lewis, 29, 23 with his hand down, and Tyler Davis, four, all with his hand down. All right. Um, 
the player that oh the stars of the game number one Adams number two Dean Lowry number three Randall Cobb really tight with uh, Preston Smith uh, Devondre Campbell and Kenny Clark for those spots there was a lot of good candidates on this one all right um, Adams he was against a really good player in this uh, Chidobia Woozy who shattered him played really well. And a lot of Adams plays weren't against a woozy. I can't believe how good a woozy was. Uh, that guy played Adams as, as well as anybody I've seen in a long time. Um, Adams, uh, just a few plays, you know, he snatched that touchdown pass in the left corner against um, Trey Waynes. Man, fast hands, got that thing. Uh, the, the 59, 59 yarder, 50, yeah, 59, when he just stuttered and go ran through the double teams, you're not supposed to be able to do that. That was cover four and he ran right through it. And, um, Jesse Bates couldn't keep up with him and a woozy was on the outside and a great over the shoulder catch. Um, He beat a woozy inside on that 26-yard pass. I don't know what happened on that thing. You know, Eric Goska, my old friend at the Green Bay Press-Gazette, who really is the finest Packer historian of all time and statistical guru of all time, he sent me some notes on Devontae Adams. And this stuff, uh, it, it, people aren't aware of it, but Goska is the man. And just a few things. On the road now, Tyler, on the road, that, that was the 16th time he's come away with 10 or more receptions in a single game. That, that's tied for second all time. Julio Jones has had 11 games in which he's caught 10 or more on the road. Jerry Rice, Andre Johnson, and now Devontae Adams have 10. So he has killed people on the road. Um, he had five catches for 20 yards or more in this game. That's a career high and the most by a Packer since Lofton 38 years ago in Atlanta, 1983. Um, he had nine first downs in this game. His personal best is 10. He's now had back-to-back -back road games with 10 or more receptions. The only other player in Packer history that's done that is Don Hudson in 1942. Jeez. He has 40, 42 catches through five games fastest start ever by a Packer. So, I mean, he is doing it um, and he's doing it on the road. Uh, it was a fantastic performance. No question about it against a really good corner and who shattered him almost the entire game. You know, on the other side, Alan Lazard, I mean, there are, there are situations here. We can get into it with Rogers when Rogers really isn't looking at Lazard right now. Um, you know, he, he's methodical and slow in his releases. Um, he did not play well. He missed uh, Mike Hilton on a, on a jet swing pass, minus four for Aaron Jones. Um, he, he has two receptions were worth like six yards, one on a sideline bubble, the other one on a sideline check down. They miss MVS. They miss him a lot. Now Randall Cobb, he is my number three star over some really strong candidates. He only had two catches, but the first one was a tough grab in traffic against a really good nickel, the ex-stealer Mike Hilton. 
That was for 15 yards. Now he did not get separation from Hilton on third and goal in the four over in the left corner and that ball was broken up. So that's the one downside on the guy. But then at the end of the game, huh, in overtime, oh my gosh. you got third, you got third and 16 and they're not going anywhere. They're going to have to punt. Tyler, nobody wants to go in where Randall Cobb did on that play. No one wants to go in there. He's going to get drilled by Jesse Bates. Now, he gets a break because Trey Waynes pulls a hammy coming across on that in-breaking route. But then he knows the safety is waiting for him. And both Von Bell and Bates are big guys, ferocious hitters. And he goes in there. He didn't even care. And so Waynes is out of the picture. He had to pull up. He didn't even care. Adams wouldn't have done that. St. Brown wouldn't have done that. James Lofton wouldn't have done that. I, Donald Driver would have. I've seen that enough in his career. But that's a brutal situation where there's no alligator arms, no flinch, no nothing. He goes in there and makes that catch, and really that wins the game. It's for, it sets up fourth and inches. It was a fantastic play by Cobb. He earned his salary right there, whatever the heck his salary is. I'll keep going a little bit. Um, St. Brown. Real quick, though, uh, Bob, on Cobb. I mean, yeah. That's where we do have to give the, uh, I think I jokingly referred to him as the assistant to the regional manager, Aaron Rodgers, some credit here. I mean, he pushed for the trade. I'm going to admit I was wrong. I thought Cobb was washed Let's, at this point. Don't say it yet, Tyler. You're only five games in. Yeah, but for a six-round pick with what they had to give well, up, with the, what they've already gotten out of them, I'd say it's fairly worth it. You're saying it's too early? The too early for me. <laughs> too early for me. I mean, yeah. he's holding up the development of Amari Rogers. We're not seeing, um, you know, it's great now because MVS isn't on the field. Uh, age is going to set in at some point. He might get hurt. He might start dropping the ball the way he did in Green Bay uh, late in his career. So, you know, we just got to see. But right now it's been a good pickup. I hadn't thought about the Amari Rogers dynamic of it. You wonder how it's affecting his development for, for sure. But if you're trying to win now and you need a player to make that play for what it costs green Bay, I mean, it was, I think it was worth it. And I mean, this, this is coming from somebody, I mean, watching him in Houston, even Dallas before that it, green Bay before that, it looked like a small, slow aging, um, placeholder who's taking the spot of somebody else which, which i suppose he's doing here but that that play alone it it definitely to me it's worth a six rounder i mean when you're think about how many six rounders they've taken they never even saw the field your your pal ricky elmore back in the day was he a six rounder remember him <laughs> <laughs> Might have but, been. yeah i don't know i mean it's we, we'll see let let the season play out and it's one of those things where you don't want to, you got to, you got to give, give some say, and this is going into a totally other conversation to Aaron Rodgers and personnel and all of that. Um, you don't want to let it get out of control because, you know, these, some of his personnel decisions that he listed off himself at that press conference, if they would have done that, it wouldn't have been good for Green Bay. But in this case, this trade, this acquisition, that play, um, it's, it's hard to argue with that decision. Been counting a number of jet sweep motion things. And, and these are the ones that happen with about five seconds left on the play clock. And the guy comes across really fast trying to influence the defense. 
They never, they don't waste. They did that 15 times in this game. They do not waste Devontae Adams. He had zero. But Amari Rogers of his five snaps, he went on jet action four times. <laughs> the other ones were a St. Brown four because they don't really care about him. And Lazard five. I mean, he's not a big factor in here. Cobb zero this week. So that was kind of interesting. All right, let's go to tight end. Um, you know, the opening play, Tyler, as old quarterbacks like we are, you know how head coaches used to obsess on the opening play, right? Yeah. I mean, they did. That was a big thing. I'm sure it's the same in the NFL. So the opening play, they got that tap pass, but it wasn't a pass. It went to Jones around right end because Jones was a little bit in front, so they countered it as a run. All right, so over on the strong side, on the play side, you got Mercedes Lewis in a three-point stance. One-on-one, -on -one, he seals Sam Hubbard, the good defensive end from the Buckeyes. He seals him. Jones cuts off his block, gain of 14. It was a big play. Uh, late in the game, they weren't going anywhere in overtime. He catches that screen, just kind of a leak-out screen. He, uh, he made Logan Wilson miss. He ran over 59, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and gained 20 yards. It was a terrific play in the outcome. However, let's let's you know let's not under let's not forget on the next play he let 57 Jermaine Pace uh, Pratt cross his face and Jones got drilled for minus one on the very next play miss a bad play blocked by Lewis Robert Tunyon you know he's not seeing the ball um, the ball's going to Adams and and running backs on the side he made three good blocks early but then his blocking fell off and he had uh, portions of two bad runs. Um, and then this Tyler Davis guy, uh, he had some shaky pass pro one. This uh, receiving core did not drop a ball. So let's remember now when Aaron Rodgers, when they drop five, people are going to say, wow, look at Rodgers. They, you know, he would have had five more completions. Well, in this game, zero drops, zero drops. They wow. played well. That's a good point. Um, and Robert Tunyon, yeah, that, that was a big third down conversion. I think if they – had to throw to him more. You could, he's very reliable. I still and thanks to Eric Goska again, who writes for pro football journal and just does a terrific job. He is, uh, he, he's an absolute treasure for Packer fans. And uh, he's written those books of the Packer statistical history. And I would encourage people still to look at those books. They are fantastically done. Okay. The offensive line, uh, from left to right, it was Nijman, Runyon, Patrick, Newman, and Turner. They all played 64 snaps. You had three starters down, Bakhtiari, the left tackle, Jenkins, the left guard, and Myers, the center. Um, I gave him a four. That's probably a little bit generous, but it wasn't a bad front they were against, and I, I thought they played pretty well. Um, again, Nijman. I gave him one and a half sacks. I'm looking at my notes here, Tyler. Uh, and only one half bad run. That was the least on the line. He was up against a pretty good player in Trey Hendrickson for most of the day. You know, he shows some power. I mean, he, he pancaked Ogan Joby early. Larry's a good inside player. Uh, he's a finisher. He wants to finish this young kid. Um, he can be a load. Uh, uh, he took out two guys on Dylan's 17-yard run. Very impressive working off a double up to the second second level. And then on the 57-yard run by Aaron Jones, man, you could see that 4-8-1. He was downfield 60 yards down. Impressive. Uh, you know, 
he got overpowered at the end for a sack uh, at the end of the half, but I, I mean, I like what he's doing. Let's go over to the left guard, uh, Runyon. Um, he had two and a half bad runs and, and two pressures. I see him. He got displaced on third and one by uh, DJ Reader, a massive nose, which wasn't good. Uh, the play failed. I think he's more athletic than strong. I really do. And I remember a scout insisted that's the way it was when he played left tackle at Michigan. You know, his dad was just a power player. And I see Runyon a little bit more finesse. He's okay. You know, I think Jenkins is going to be getting or taking that job back soon. All right, center with Myers out. You got Lucas Patrick. He had one offline snap, but otherwise he handled the shotgun really well. Um, you know, he's late to the linebacker level. He wasn't as good as Myers to uh, getting off. He, he, Myers is no speed demon either, or no gazelle, but he's, uh, he's younger and uh, he has more mm, flexibility than Patrick. I didn't think Patrick played great, but when I looked at it, he had zero, uh, zero pressures and only one bad run. So, I mean, this is a very valuable player in the last year of his contract. I think he's got to come back. He's a solid entity. At right guard, you got Newman. You know, I like sometimes the way he he looks for work, man. When he's when he's in a, a slide situation and then he's he's got his head on a swivel, he looked over and he just KO'd uh, Davis Gaither one time on a blitz, just knocked him crazy. You know, Rodgers took a hell of a hit at the end, and I don't really know why that occurred. Um, he came off a... Uh, he thought the line was going to slide to him, but Patrick slid the other way. And then he came off. Uh, all right, I got it. He came off of Oga Joby. And Oga Joby just drilled Rodgers. It was a pretty tough hit. Toughest hit Rodgers took all day. I, it had to be a miscommunication, but they got to get that squared away. Okay, and at right tackle, Turner, um, one pressure, one and a half bad runs. The line had six and a half of the 10 bad runs. Bad runs, again, are defined as gains of one or fewer, one or less, um, in non-goal line or short yardage situations. Um, Turner was against Hubbard, a good player. He had an early flush uh, that caused the interception. That was by... Uh, Cam Sample beat him, and that led to Aaron getting pressured out and throwing the bad ball. I still like Turner. Cincinnati, uh, Amaruno, the uh, the D coordinator, he only blitzed 10.5% in this game. He had one one of those was uh, a si over five men, a six man pressure. So they did. They were going to try to win with four and cover on the back end. And they did a pretty good job. They hung in and made it a very close game. So that's that on the old line. Again, down three starters, a solid effort. Which, go back to listen to the, the, the first episode, a concern heading into the season, a lot of unknowns, a lot of wondering how, how this would all kind of piece together. And that was before Jenkins goes down. Green Bay probably couldn't have expected anything better than what you saw there, especially on the road. Nope. Let's go to QB, T. Um, you know, another come-from-behind victory. 
I mean, he threw the ball to Randall Cobb and he fit it in there. And uh, he, if Waynes doesn't pull that ham, I don't know if he throws that pass, fearful of a pick and good field position for the Bengals. Mm. There was people all over the place there, uh, but he got that ball in there. It was an amazing throw and a come from behind victory for Aaron Rodgers. And really that's the bottom line. He, um, he had, he had a, a slow start. Um, uh, he held the ball in one of the sacks out of the, out of the pocket yesterday or Sunday. He was terrific. Uh, third and 11 on the Bengals 26. He forced a ball into Adams. 13 was Lazard was wide open underneath, but he forced, he did it again. He forced one at the end of overtime to 17 on a post route. That was dangerous. Um, there was a third and four in this game when he extended to the right and threw a dart on the sideline to Tunyon for eight, just great stuff. Uh, he is so accurate, so gifted on the move. I mean, he's just has been like that his whole career. And he, you know, technically he's outstanding moving left or right. Technically he's not outstanding in the pocket, but on the outside, he certainly is. Um, he looks at Cobb a lot. He does not look at Lazard a lot. The bomb to Adams, great throw, 60 yards in the air, you know, platinum. He had a bad miss to Adams in that corner, a wide open Adams at 216 in a 22-22 game. That was against Mike Hilton. That's going to win the game. It was a, a, a not a very good throw. That's the play where he got hit when Newman and Patrick had the miscom. And it didn't affect the throw, I don't think, but he took a hell of a tumble on that play. He's made that um, throw with a, somebody in his face before, too. Right. Yes, he has. Again, no drops, um, a winning performance by Rodgers. Um, a woozy, you know, the interception he suffered out there. He's made that play a million times, you know, and the ball is either caught or the defender drops it or the defender doesn't get his head back in time. This Awuzie is a really good player. And he took a peek back. He watches tape too. And he knows when Rogers or Adams' eyes get big. And he knows the scramble drill. He saw Adams break that thing off. He peeked back, uh, picked that thing, and went 42 yards. So uh, I guess that's it. But a, a winning performance there as well. Perfectly said, Bob. <laughs> let's go to the rbs t 64 snaps you got aaron jones playing 44 aj dillon 21 kylan hill two uh degora played 13 mostly as a tight end uh empty formation five all right aaron jones he broke seven tackles a season high um you know he he gives them that horizontal stretch because he's so fast to the flat and, you know, McCarthy just used his running backs in the middle on checkdowns through the line. Uh, LaFleur stretches the field horizontally with his backs and tight ends, other people leaking out there. It's nice. you got to defend 53 and one-third yards. Uh, and he is – he's hard to defend out there. All right, the 57-yard run, right? Von Bell blitzes. He's got him dead in the hole for minus three. He makes a great move and makes Von Bell miss. 
I'd love to talk about this with Von Bell. All right, and then Jesse Bates comes swooping up from center field. It would have been a nine-yard move, nine-yard gain. He puts another great move on him. Then he's off to the races. He shoves the nickelback Mike Hilton down. Do you believe that? <laughs> Utter violence. What a play. Now, it didn't lead to anything, um, but what a play. Uh, boy, the one knock on Jones, man. That ball came out in overtime and he was the rep, the officials ruled forward progress, you know, and no fumble, but that would have turned the whole game around too. And he had a fumble in a previous game. I can't remember in the last couple of weeks. So he's got to watch that. Um, so Jones had uh, 17, 18 touches for 109. Dylan had 12 for 79. So that's 188 yards and 30. That's really terrific balance. And that's what LaFleur is trying to get. Um, let's see. Dylan broke two tackles. He showed fine hands on that touchdown out in the flat. That was a fastball. He had to adjust to it over his head. Really a good catch. He has got to get lower on that play. He's just got to run lower. He's not going to last. He took a tremendous shot from Von Bell. Lower the shoulder, lower everything. He's got to for longevity, for durability purposes. Um, kind of like seventeen yard. Huh? I kind of like him tiptoeing in there vertically. The seventeen yard run. He showed much better body lean on that one, and he broke a tackle by Von Bell, who was a tough cookie. So after the fifty nine yard run, I know what Lafleur wants to do. He's gonna, you know, the defense is gassed. They're they're on their haunches. He comes in with double tight end and he's going to run and he gets Jones out of there who needs a, needs a blow and he gets Dylan in there and he wants to play power football. Dylan plus one on first down. <clears throat> Dylan plus one on second down. Now, it, what they weren't great. They weren't very well blocked, but they weren't terribly blocked either. He wasn't getting hit in the backfield. It was just hitting in there nothing happens at times the guy does not run hard that was two in a row and then he has to go you know get the spread formation because it didn't work um uh excuse me those two plays were after the 59 yard bomb to adams after the 57 yard run by jones then lafleur loads up the formation again with dylan gain of zero so I know what he's trying to do, but this, this is not Henry of the Titans right now, okay? <laughs> he's a good player, and he's shown quite a bit. But right now, without any question, I take Jamal Williams over A.J. Dillon. Williams is really a good player, and he is a beast on third and fourth and one. He's playing very well for the Lions. Let's not forget about Jamal Williams either. All right, and Degora. 38 um, carries for 166, 4.4. That's not bad, Bob. That's no, pretty, it's not bad. It's pretty it's good. It's not bad. Yeah. Jamal Williams is one hell of a football player, my man. <laughs> All right, Degora. He made a really nice cutback on Sam Hubbard, um, a gain of 11 for Aaron Jones. Um, second quarter, uh, he got killed on one play. He got, I can't read my writing. 
Kylan Hill's on the field. Matt LaFleur goes with Kylan Hill on the second snap of the game. He'd only played 19 snaps in the first four games. He puts him out there and runs a screen, and he ran it okay. So interesting how LaFleur tries to keep using all these people. All right, so that's it on the OT. You didn't let me uh, jump in there with an A.J. Dillon defense. I think that's going to be a common theme on this pod is our difference of opinion on this unicorn of a 247-pounder with 7.8% body fat running whatever it was, low four fives. I still love him. I still like what I see. I think that he's got some great balance. I mean, as a receiver, that was that's a revelation. His hands and what you saw there, probably use him more in that if they have to, if they want to. Um, he, he was advertised as a pretty good receiver coming out of BC. The scouts thought he caught it really well in that workout. <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure it all out. Right, like he, he had COVID last year, barely, barely even played last year. I think all the stuff on knowing when to get low, when to get the, the skill set, the tools, everything that's packed in there. Um, I'm signing me up for the long haul. Got you. All right. The D line. Dean Lowry played terrific. He's the second star of the game. Um, Zach Taylor said yesterday that he, he was one of the things he was most bemoaning was those two batted balls by Lowry in the first half because they were going to be completions, he said. That's just a, and both of those led to three and outs. He, um, he would have had a third in the second half when there was a blocking miscue and he was unblocked on a drop back. But then this is, again, the putting the dress on the quarterback, right, Tyler, that we discussed in the last couple of weeks. Rather than just running right through Burrow, which he could have done, and he knows he would have got a penalty just like Zadarius did in the opener or whatever the heck that was. He left his feet trying to get another bat, a third in the game. Burrow saw it, stayed down, let the guy come down, and then completed a pass that was a 28-yard gain to chase. So he almost had a third. Um, he did some other good things against the run. In total, he had uh, one and a half pressures two and two bats, a great game. Kenny Clark was, again, playing like a pro bowler. He looks healthy. He had three pressures and one and a half tackles for loss. Um, he's quick. He's got leverage. He stuffed that third and one sneak that led uh, with Lowry that led to that uh, the punt early. Um, he had a tackle for loss in that in game. Jonah Williams, he would not let uh, 73 cut him cut him off he had the hurry on one of the two interceptions he split a double team on third and one and tackled um the perrine for minus one um a terrific game by clark i don't know where they'd be without him he is the defensive mvp kingsley kiki played a lot you know there's just a difference with him against the run when compared to clark lowry and lancaster and slayton i might add they put him in there they run right at him with Mixon. He gets man blocking by uh, Quentin Spain, the ex-Titan, the big left guard, 10-yard gain. He just doesn't even – he's not even in the picture. But the guy has fast hands, and he has a get-off. 
He just is semi-weak at the point of attack. He only had one hurry. Slayton played as much as Lancaster this week. Each had 13. And Slayton's not bad. I mean, he had pretty good reaction on a bootleg, made a tackle over there on the tight end, uh, Uzoma. Kind of like Slayton. Lancaster, you know, he got dominated in the red zone one time. A nine-yard rush by Perrine. He got dominated by Spain. Um, He is what he is. And he's okay, but he is what he is. Joe Barry's uh, blitz rate, uh, 14% in this game. Uh, he, he never sent anybody anybody more than five. He's just not blitzing. He's rushing with four and hoping that his rushers come through. Uh, one thing, okay. And that's it on the D-line. Resigning Kenny Clark, another great... Call by the GM. I think he pointed that out at one point. You know, talking about free agency, we'll keep one of the best free agents out there and Aaron Jones at what you could argue is a team-friendly rate given his production. Um, Man, you're right on Clark. Since you started bringing him up, I've been watching him more often just play to play, and he just he just wrecks guys. He You never see him get pushed the other direction. It's always the other way around, so... In many well ways, this is a this is a team of stars, you know. Yeah. Adams, Jones, Rogers, Bakhtiari, Clark. Um, these are stars, yeah. And maybe Alexander. I don't think he's quite there yet, but okay. Um, the outside backers. Rashawn Gary was double teamed twenty seven point three percent. Gary had only one pressure in this game. He just isn't doing it. Um, he was up against most of the time against Riley Reef, the ex Lion and Viking. Uh, but Joe Barry's using this rover thing where uh, he opened the game with it, opening play of each half. There was five times with this in which Gary's standing up and asked to do things, pick a spot, get a, a avenue of weakness and attack. I just don't think maybe they should be asking Gary to do that much. Uh, that's when he gets in trouble. Um, 72 yard touchdown. Okay. The one big play he got, he got Reef to hold him on a fourth and two, and that negated a first down scramble. So let's go to the uh, 72 yard touch, 72 yard touchdown pass or whatever it was to Jamar Chase. I don't really know why it was a four man rush and the guy had 7.72 seconds to release the ball. Gary and Preston Smith came off their rush after about a second. So in effect, it became a two man rush. 7.7 seconds later, the ball's thrown downfield. Chase catches this ball. We'll discuss Savage later for a touchdown. I mean, I don't know if there was a call, somebody made a call somewhere on that field to do that, but it's ridiculous and Barry's got to get that under control. Preston Smith had an outstanding game. He really did. Um, he, uh, he was really good at the point of attack. He mauled uh, the tight end 87 Uzoma early on a, a carry by Mixon for minus one. Um, he walked back 73, Jonah Williams for a sack. He only had one pressure, but he had his hand in two tackles for loss. 
He set the edge against Williams again on a carry by Mixon for nothing. Um, tackle for loss and overtime. The one thing I ding him on, uh, on a fourth and two sneak by Burrow, it wasn't a sneak. It was kind of like a quarterback draw at a shotgun. They were an empty set. Preston Smith is unblocked on that right, right defensive side. Now, I know he has to come across, and he's got to worry about Burrow, but there's nobody, there's no action, nowhere Burrow can get rid of that ball, and he's not going to run. He's a step late, and had he slashed down inside harder, Burrow would not have made that on that fourth and two. Um, Garvin, Mr. Garvin, Jonathan Garvin, you know, he set up a sack in the first half. He's kind of clever. He has good use of hands. And he was pretty physical against the tight end, um, against wham blocks. He, they, they even used him as the rover three times, so he must uh, have a good grasp of the defense. Hamilton, first time we saw Ladarius Hamilton, he played 19 snaps. I didn't give the snap counts. Of the 67 on defense, Preston played 49. Gary played 47. Garvin, 20. Chauncey Rivers went on IR. So you got Ladarius Hamilton playing 19. I thought Ladarius Hamilton really struggled. He was very poor at the point of attack on a, on a power play on an 11-yard game. And he was terrible setting the edge on the eight-yard touchdown run by Mixon. Um, he's got to play a lot better. Or they got to get somebody different. So that was uh, that's it on the inside. Let me give the snap counts on the D line. 54 for Clark, 46 Lowry, 31 for Kiki, 13 apiece for Lancaster and Slayton. Heflin was inactive. So Zedarius Smith's uh, inactive or on IR. They didn't get a whole lot of the position. Preston Smith was the best player by far. All right. Go to the inside backers. Um, you know, the interception by Campbell, yeah, it was a gift. I mean, I don't know what Burrow and uh, Boyd were doing there. But you know what? He caught the ball. And a lot of guys drop picks, and you can never <laughs> downgrade a pick. Um, he, shows, uh, he shows a lot. He's a very forceful tackler. Uh, on third and two in overtime, he made that stop and forced, uh, forced that field goal. That would have been a much early, a shorter field goal attempt for McPherson. He's playing very well. Barnes, he just overpowered Perrine on that sack. Uh, he had a big hit one time, kind of like Barnes. The snap counts, 59 for Campbell. He suffered an injury and missed seven snaps. First time all year he's missed a, uh, in the last four games he played every snap. Uh, Barnes played 23 and Burks played 18, Summers zero. We may see Jalen Smith, the ex-cowboy next week. He was inactive on this one. Um, uh, Oren Burks, you know, he gets knocked down, he gets cut. He had a good rush, uh, and he hit Burl low for a, a knockdown. That was his best play. He's just got to be more physical. We've been saying this for four years, and that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's the DB. That, that's the linebackers, Tyler. Man, yeah, I had forgot about Campbell being the one who made that tackle, that stop. I mean, that's a different game. That's a different kick. Um, 
I don't know if McPherson was quite in the uh, headspace that Crosby was. I feel like if he was a little closer, he probably drills it. He hell, he thought the kick went in himself. So that's a game changing play that you've seen yep. out of uh, Devondre Campbell week in and week out. And it's just, it's crazy to think that he was even available and the Packers pounced. They pounced on, on Jalen Smith, who I imagine we're going to be talking about the rest of the season. If he's anything remotely close to the Jalen Smith, he was early in his career with Dallas and back in Notre Dame, people thought he might've been the best player in college football before that injury. So could be two just absolute steals for Brian Gutekinds and the Green Bay Packers here. You know, with Jalen Smith, with Ladarius Hamilton not playing well, and he's put his hand down and played outside, I wouldn't be surprised if on some passing downs they get do something with Hamilton, cut him maybe, and have Jalen Smith put his hand down with Garvin as that second set of uh, outside backers. All right, in the DBs, 67 snaps total. You got Stokes playing 65. Kevin King started for the injured Alexander, played 42, and then went out with, I think, a chest injury. Uh, 58 for the Nickelback Sullivan, 26 for Yeadim, and one for John Charles, kind of a forgettable uh, uh, cameo. Amos and Savage, they played every snap in five games. Again, 67 apiece. Uh, these guys have not been injured you know, at all during their time together. And that's a huge uh, stability force for Green Bay's defense. Black played 19 and Scott did not play. Okay, so <clears throat> Stokes matched up a lot with, with Jamar Chase. <clears throat> you know, you can't say he played well. I mean, he gave up a couple 20-yard plays, um, missed a tackle on that 28-yarder. That was an extra 23 yards by Chase. Um, a slant, though, you know, for 14 yards, he contested that darn thing, and Chase made the catch for 14. I'm going to give Stokes a dropped interception on a long ball in the end zone. Yeah, he had good coverage, but he's got to make the play. This is the big leagues now. He got beat on a back shoulder by Chase for 19. He got beat on another back shoulder by Chase in overtime for 21. Um, he got beat on the jam. Um but he had close up closing speed early in the game and broke up that bomb to chase. So it was a heck of a battle. I mean, with, if, if you're the Packers, you got to, you're high on, uh, you're high on Stokes. He's challenging people. Okay. Let's go to, uh, but in the end zone now on that, uh, the touchdown pass to prime for uh, 34 yards. <clears throat> Once again, 21 and 31 Amos and Stokes, they're lined up at the same level and they're playing off in the red zone, you can't do it. It becomes a Keystone cop situation. You have to play at different levels. And again, they gave up a routine touchdown. Technically that's Amos's guy. He is his guy. He's got to find a fight that way through it. But all you got to do is by alignment. It makes it so much easier. You can't expect Amos. All right. He's got to fight through it, but he's stiff and he's going to get matched up on. And they know that. And they've got to handle that better. That's on Barry and Jerry Gray, the DB coach. Um, Kevin King, you know, he closed hard on some stuff in front of him early in the game. He hit twice. He closed really hard. Impressive. He's playing hurt, I, I guess. And um, But he comes in. He doesn't want to wrap on the sideline. He leads with his neck. He's going to get injured. I mean, I know he's got shoulder problems, chronic, but 
he has got to wrap up and that's on Jerry Gray again. He's going to hurt. I mean, he's ducking his head and coming in with his neck. It, it's going to be ugly and it's a terrible, it's a, it's a terrible way to come in. Um, yeah, dumb, you know, he got cut and he's a pretty good veteran pickup. I mean, they're adding all veteran guys. They're trying to win the Super Bowl, obviously, with all their personnel moves. It's a total, total departure from the way Ted Thompson operated. Trying to read my notes on uh, Yeadam. On the two-point play, he got beat across the middle by T. Higgins down on the back end line. I still kind of like the guy. He's not afraid to play bump. All right, Savage. Uh, he forced against the run pretty good in the open field. Um, like some of the things he did, he came up like a bat out of hell and drilled Burrow on that third and 12, drilled Burrow for nine yards, made him punt three yards short. On the touchdown pass, the 72 yarder, whatever it was. <clears throat> All right. The pass rush failed 7.72 seconds. Seconds. I got that. But when Chase then, it becomes a scramble drill, and 26 is chasing him across the field, and he is in position. He went for Chase with the wrong hand. He's got to go with his right hand for the ball and then his left hand, left hand behind Chase so we can make the tackle if he doesn't get the ball. He goes with both hands fully extended. I don't know how he missed it, but when he did miss it, he just – gamble the last 25 yards to the to the end zone it's just a mistake it's got to be coached better it's got to be played better um you you know you got to be deep as the deepest but he it's a matter of hand use and technique on that play all right um amos fourth and three they match him up with perrine easy pitch and catch five yard pass the touchdown we went into that it's his guy he get picked whatever it's his guy and the interception, he made a great play. He made Burrow pay for a boneheaded decision a young player will make. It looked like something, you know, a young Brett Favre, even a young Rodgers did those kind of things. Uh, just a bad mistake. 31 closed on that play. Uh, elevated, caught the ball at the peak. Tremendous play by Amos. Tremendous play. Yeah. Um, the backup safety, Black, he played some dime linebacker. Uh, he's not bad. He hits pretty good. Camden Sullivan, the, the nickelback, he got, he got embarrassed on that eight yard touchdown run by 80, by, uh, uh, Mixon. I mean, he just got dominated by T Higgins for like three seconds and then got knocked on the ground. He was over on the play side. He should have made that tackle even worse. It was John Charles, his only snap of the day. He's over there in the slot. And he just gets faked out of his jock. You know, he who hesitates is lost. Go in. You're against a great back. The guy's got a bad ankle. So what? Go in and take a shot, T, right? Yeah. Just don't wait. Go take a shot. Attack, attack, attack. Don't hesitate. And when you hesitate, you're flat-footed. And he didn't even lay a glove on the guy. So that's it really for the, um, for the DBs. Uh, a, a solid, uh, adequate effort for the DBs. Great breakdown on how you should approach a bomb like that. I had never really thought of it in those terms. Use this hand for this, that hand for that. 
because it all happens so fast, but you have to train for that moment and that play if you're a DB. Um, and it could be the difference between 70, 80 yarder and an incomplete pass, whatever, whatever the case may be. So, all right, Bob, bring us home here with special teams. I would uh, all right. talk about burying the lead. Let's go to the kicker, burying the lead, L-E-D-E, Auntie. Yep. That's right. For all the old as newspaper uh, Neanderthals. Okay, Mason Crosby. Let's look at it. Now, I know he's got this field goal streak, right, T? You know, so it's such and such. But let's not forget, the guy missed four extra points last year. Four from 35 yards. In week four, he was wide left. In game, game four, game 11, he was wide right. In game 12, he hit one off the left upright. In game 15, he was wide left, but the thing was uh, offset, offsetting penalties. He got a chance to redo it. And then in the divisional game, it wasn't his fault. I think it counts as a miss. That was a bad snap. I'm not even counting that. That was a mess or a bad hold. So he has missed. He is not this paragon of perfection that the announcers uh, paint, paint him out to be. He's a tremendous kicker, but he has had problems with extra points. And the problem Sunday started on the extra point. Now, we're going to be talking about whole snaps and holes during this here. <clears throat> there was nine placements in this game. Three, I could not determine from the TV copy what the placement of the snaps on impact, okay? Three were perfect laces on the snap from Hunter Bradley to the holder, Bjorkwes, and three required a spin by Bjorkwes. So it's three, three, three. Now, some special teams coaches believe that a good long snapper will make it about 75 to 80% that when the holder catches the ball, all he has to do is put the ball down. The laces at that point are directly facing the line of scrimmage. It's just catch, down, no spin. The, that's what the best. Now, with Bradley, last year he was below 50% by my count on the ones I could determine. Probably 40 or 50%, I could not determine, all right? But uh, there was enough of a sample size to know that he's well below average for NFL snappers. All right. In this game, on that extra point, the miss, perfect laces. I could not tell on the extra point that was good. Now let's go to the field goals. The first one, 44 yards, I could not tell on the snap. The next one, it's good from 44, I could not tell. The 22, that was good. He made his first three. That was required a spin by Bjorquez. Now let's go to three misses in a row. 36 yards wide left. That required a spin. It was not an ideal snap. 51 wide left. That was perfect laces. 40, that was wide left. That required a spin. The 49, that was good. That was perfect laces. So of the three he missed, two required a spin. And of the four he made, one spin, one perfect lace, two I don't know. And on the extra points, one perfect lace that he missed. So... And again, the location of where this ball was snapped from on the three he missed, two left hash, one on the middle. And the one, the, the one he hit at the end of the game was off left hash. I don't think you can really look at the hashes. 
So Crosby says he picked the wrong line. That's where his problems stem from. And I don't disagree with that. For his standpoint, that's his deal. He, he picks a line with his arm. You see these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, the kid from uh, McPherson was doing the same thing. Ryan Longwell used to do that. But it helps to have a good, a good snapper. And Bradley has not been a good snapper. Now, they have a guy on the practice squad, Mr. Wordle, who is the best long snapper coming out, according to the scouts who talked to me. That was two years, two years ago or this year. I can't remember which draft. He's sitting there, and he's snapping every day in practice. So if they're going to make a move, they're going to make a move. Bradley was a draft pick of Gutekunst in the sixth, I believe, three, four years ago. That's where it's at. Now, Crosby, okay. The ball was on, the ball was down. All right. It's still on him. I don't want to, uh, uh, what do I want to do? Absolve him. But some of this blame is on Bradley. Hmm. Bjorkwes, I can't fault his holding. I, I cannot fault him. There was maybe one or two that was a slight bobble. But when you got, when you have to spin so much with Bradley. All right. Hmm. You know, the other thing about, now, bottom line, Crosby won the game. And he won it from 49 yeah. after a six minute replay review and timeouts or whatever BS there was going on. That's pretty tough, Tyler. Yeah. Six minute delay between the last play and his kick. X, uh, okay. Kickoff seven times average 69.7, 4.6, 4 4.06 hang three touchbacks. He's doing good on uh, kicks. Bjorkwes. I don't know how to pronounce that. Bojo <laughs> punted twice early. He had a bad day. 36 and 31 gross, 34 and 31 net. Average hang, 4.06. Uh, he has a tendency to kick him to the right. That first one went out of bounds, uh, 31 yards, bad kick. All right, that's it there, Tyler. Any thoughts? You know Mason Crosby. Yeah, I, I, you're right. The bottom line is he made the 49-yarder to win it. And imagine – just being embarrassed on a national scale at anything in life three times in a row and being asked by your coach, as Matt LaFleur said after the game, like, do you, do you want it? Do you want to do this? And, and he said, I got it. And he goes out there and he drills it. That's impressive. I mean, just the fact that he did that. Um, and that's a really good breakdown on, maybe why the long snappers at fall. I, I know LaFleur didn't want to use his name and, point the finger and throw anybody under the bus, but in so many terms, so many words yesterday, it seemed like, yeah, he, he's not putting this all in Crosby. He is putting it on that long snapper. So we'll see if they fix it. I mean, it sounds like this is maybe a problem that could, could linger. I don't, I don't know. I don't know much about long snapping it. I, I never even knew that you could snap it in a way for when it hits the hands of the holder, boom, automatic, no spins with regularity. That kind of is, I mean, I guess we should all raise our kids to be long snappers because if you've got that skill down, man, I don't know. I think that, I think they figure it out and it's not a, uh, a problem that lingers, but I guess, I guess you never know. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a concern. Um, easily could have probably should have lost that game because of the kicking procedure. Are you going to Brett Bradley's gone Tuesday, today, man. Wednesday? By the time people listen to this, there might be a, an answer on that. 
feel like they'll probably stick with them at this point. Um, what about Crosby's confidence going forward with this guy? Oh, I hate that expression. Ugh. Going forward. Eliminate going forward. Going from for the, Tell from us the about language. this draft oh process. Uh, it could affect Crosby's confidence in the future. I don't think that that's, I guess that's why I think they'll just keep things moving forward because I don't, I don't think his confidence is going to be shot. <laughs> I think he went through that stuff already. You know, going forward, Tyler. Going forward, Tom, I see Wordle coming in here. <laughs> but it, so in 2012, he went through this, and then he had the lion, that crazy Lions game a few years ago. So I, I don't know. I don't think now if he goes out there this next game and against the Bears and is just whiffing and hooking and slicing and yeah, then you got to be concerned. But my gut feeling Brad, is he'll just go. Bradley out and had a Bradley had a punch snap on the ground here uh, early in the season. I thought his first punch snap, this this one was low and slow in this game, the first of two. Hmm. He looked really bad uh, in agility and coverage on the, the long kick, on the long a punt return, I'm sorry, a short punt return, but he was in position to make the tackle he whiffed. All right, I don't know. All right, now special teams, okay? Special teams, pretty ordinary. Um, 44-yard kickoff return by Brandon Wilson. Kylan Hill is aggressive as heck, but he went down there. He KO'd his blocker. He wasn't even – he was oblivious to where the ball was. And then uh, then Wilson split o Oren Burks and Mr. Isaiah McDuffie, 44-yard return. Kylan Hill's only legitimate uh, kickoff return only went 16 yards. Uh, he got slammed by tacklers because Burks and uh, Henry Black missed their blocks. Um, the holdup guys are Malik Taylor and uh, Equinemius St. Brown. The gunners are Taylor and Yudam. The leading snap guys on special teams with 22 were Black, Burks, and Ty Summers. Four missed tackles on special teams. On defense, seven. I guess that does it, T. All right. Well, I don't really have any more thoughts. <laughs> you put it all perfectly. Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, absolute studs that are going to make plays for a long, long time. And, and this team has overcome a lot of injuries already. Boy, losing either one of those players, you hate to even, you know, speak into the atmosphere on for, their behalf but if they were to lose one of those guys they'd be in trouble because as much as i love aj dylan aaron jones is special as much as i really like marquez valdez scanlon um and he'll be back at some point obviously Devonte adams probably the best wide receiver in football uh, they have to keep those guys healthy it's a long season um and they're gonna need them so all right um what next bob mcginn's memory uh, you want to discuss the story you wrote this week? The wonderful story? Sure. Up to you. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, if, if listeners haven't checked it out, uh, golongtd.com, we have parts one and two up um, on Don Mikowski, who I think probably has a special place in a lot of uh, people's hearts if they're at least, what, 40 years old or so. That, that 1989 Packers team just 
as, as you put when we were talking, it, it kind of made the Packers cool <laughs> when they were very, very uncool for a very, very long time. Uh, and he was, he was really good too. I mean, led the league in passing number two in the MVP voting, uh, beat the 49ers at candlestick just was far better quarterback, far better player than, than I even realized and, and tried to learn as much as I can about the Packers. But, you know, he was, we, we, we texted on and off for, we, we have texted on and off for a while and just happenstance, tragically, he, he was back home in Depew, New York, which is about, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes from where I live, south of Buffalo, and was willing to, to get together. He was back home for five weeks to grieve, to help his mom adjust, be with family. And we, uh, we spent a lot of time together. I don't know, probably an hour and a half, two hours, just talking about his career, his life, and his health. People might have known a little bit about his health. He's talked about it to other publications. I don't know if they knew the extent of it and the surgeries, um, you know, one after another, I mean, both his neck and his lower back, they had to go through the front to get to the back and you're jamming plates in there. You're jamming screws in there. It's, I mean, they had to have a vascular surgeon for the neck surgery, the C4 to the C7, which is a, that's a quite the fusion. You're talking about three, four different vertebrae there. They need a vascular surgeon with him for that to make sure that, his throat and all that would be intact. And when they did the back, I mean, they literally took all of his guts out and to get there. It just, it, and, it, and it's all from football. And we, we relived a lot of those collisions. We know the Cincinnati, you know, shattered ankle and he's had, I think it was what, nine procedures, nine surgeries on the ankle, 11 screws, two titanium plates in there. We, we've seen that, that launched the career of Brett Favre, as you wrote beautifully the week prior. And we know about the shoulder, right? That before that, that that's really what doomed Don Mikowski. He, he admitted he was never the same quarterback. Lost his velocity, lost his accuracy. It was just it was a different player when he when he tore his rotator cuff. But what we didn't know, I mean, the neck. He just had those two neck surgeries this past year. There's a play, and I linked it in the story. If you haven't checked it out, please do it. It's unbelievable. You'd never see this today. Terry Wood, and I believe for the Seahawks at the kingdom lifts Mikowski up and just drives his head into the turf. I mean, pile drives his neck, his head. And he said he had electroshock. You see the team doctor giving Don Mikowski meds on the video. Here comes the candy. Here you go. Stay in the game. He stayed in the game. He came out for one play. Marshall Falk ran for a touchdown. They play defense. The next series, Don Mikowski finishes the game and they win the game. Yeah. He throws a touchdown. He threw a completion on that hit. It, it was a different time. I mean, what really puts it into perspective is Todd Christensen on the color commentary is uh, you know, talking about this hit and this novel concept concussions and how, you know, wearing a red Jersey in practice, these quarterbacks, you're, you're not conditioned for hits like this in so many words, as we say, I mean, you would never hear that today. Um, he even talked about, yo, for hits like this, should there be a penalty box like they have in hockey? It's it's almost like you're thrown into a time machine. And hey, I'm the first person to say the NFL has gone soft. And you know, you watch these games and the flags that are thrown. I mean, that Bills Chiefs game, both sides, just atrocious calls. I mean, it, any contact, and they're just depending on the official, they're just gonna throw it. Doesn't really matter. It's gone to the extreme. But you can see why they had to move away from how things were late 80s, early 90s, 
with that kind of stuff. I mean, there to me, there is a line there to define, and Domikowski's paying for it. I mean, he, uh, he he's hurting bad, and on top of that, he didn't dive deep, deep, deep into it. I think he's he wants to really detail it in a book that he'll write at some point in life. But the depression, you know, all of this led to a pretty dark depression of finding that purpose in the morning. He's in a good place now. Since 2018, he's seen a therapist. Um, he credited a Christian men's group that he visits in Atlanta. A lot of former professional players, um, investors, celebrities, they kind of gather and they talk and they just bear up, bear their souls, basically. Just talking about this all has really helped Don Mikowski, uh get to a good place. And I just you know, can't thank him enough for, for sitting down and being as candid as, as he was, because I think it's really important to put this stuff out there. I, I don't think he's alone. And then even get into the lawsuit that failed, you know, for represented 400 players whose uh, disabilities are being cut back in this new CBA. It's not just a league. I mean, the NFLPA signed it too. They don't have a voice at the table, you know, another by 2024, the schedule to have those cut back. We'll see if they relitigate this thing. Um, but to me, it's just important stuff that we have to shoot into the atmosphere because there are more Domikowskis out there. You know, we see these former players on NFL Network, ESPN. We think, oh, everybody's doing great. Like, you know, name your player that you see on TV. And it's it's not the case at all, as you know. It was a remarkable story, uh, a remarkable portrait of uh, Mikowski, a guy I covered his, you know, his six yeah. years in Green Bay. Um, yeah, I saw him from this brash guy who looked invincible, you know, physically, just the swag you talked about so eloquently in the story. Yeah. And he had that when other guys didn't have it and the hair and the guitar and all this and appearing with bands at the old Brown County arena <laughs> to, to what he is today. You know, it's just, uh, and the way I saw the way the injuries beat him down. And then I saw him start for the lions against green Bay. And it was just really it's really a shame. He was a really good guy and um, he was, he was a joy to cover. And who's to say if he wasn't playing now with these rules, I mean, he was a, he was a reckless individual, Tyler, you know, Hmm. he he put his body freely, willingly trying to get the extra yard and, you know, going up high, you never see Rogers or Brady. You don't, you see him get into fetal positions because they know that's the, the way to survive. But Mikowski was, you know, hands up trying to leap over the goal line, you know, exposing his chest and uh, torso. And and that's and (laughs) just these hits, these pile driving hits quarterbacks today. I mean, it just doesn't happen. You don't see it. So what is where his career could have gone? You know, what if he was born 20, 25 years later? Who knows? But um, it was a great story. It was a real, it's a tremendous read for our readers. Yep. Our subscribers. Thank you very much. And your perspective covering that team helps too, because Lindy and Fonnie really didn't do him many favors um, in terms of pass protection scheme, (laughs) if you'd even call it that. I mean, he was susceptible to a lot of these hits, spread it out. You know, there's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You spread it out, throw it all over the place. You might have a lot of success, but you're going to get sacked a lot too. And he was sacked. He was hit. And I will say, you know, I, as dark and gloomy as the story is, and it is, I mean, that is the story. It's he, he's these last three years, and at least in terms of his mental state, he's in a good spot. You know, I think he knows like my body is just going to hurt forever. But if I get this hip, sur- he's going to have this hip surgery, have that replaced. 
at least things will be technically fixed and then it'll just be in pain and it'll just try to find that purpose in the morning. So mm-hmm. a lot of guys don't have that. You know, he's, he's the first to say there's guys worse off than me a lot that are worse off than me. But thank you everybody for reading um, a lot of feedback. So it's greatly appreciated. And we'll definitely, uh, you know, keep these series going. I, we're, we're called go long for a reason, right, Bob? I mean, there, people can expect long <laughs> stories, whether it's 7,000 words on the And podcast, Tyler. Yeah, whatever, we're on like the third hour here. So, all right, let's bring it home with uh, McGinn's memory of the week. Well, you never know what the memory is going to be, do you? I don't. I have no clue. Yeah, for our listeners, I never know what Bob's going to bring All up. Right. It's a total So you shock. give me carte blanche to pick out the memory, right? Okay. All right, here we go. So let's talk about the Bengals. And when I think of the Bengals and the Packers, I think of Forrest Gregg. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> Judge Robert Perrins fired Bart Starr after nine seasons. Uh, the day at 8 a.m., the day after they lost a playoff berth at Soldier Field in 1983, like December 2019, something like that. Um, fired him at 8 a.m., and immediately the search began. And Mike White, the Illinois coach, interviewed for the job. That is known for sure. And John Madden graciously told the Packers no. Judge Robert Perrin said he had 25 applications, 25 contacts. This is 38 years ago, T. It was a little different world, you know? So anyway, uh, he announced that Dick Corrick, the personnel director, chief under, um, under Star, was going to to uh, have a much upgraded uh, role in this new administration, whoever they were going to hire. So anyway, they decided to hit on another Lombardi disciple, and that was Forrest Gregg. Forrest Gregg had been a head coach at Cleveland from 75 to 77. He went 18 and 23. He resigned under pressure that last year. Uh, uh, Owner Art Modell was well aware of a near player revolt going on by Lake Erie, the mistake by the lake. So Forrest sat out 78, and in 79, he went up to coach the Toronto Argonauts, and he went 5-11. and 11. So then the Bengals were struggling, and owner Paul Brown desired, decided to hire Forrest in Cincinnati. He took him to the Super Bowl in his second year where he lost to Bill Walsh's Niners. At Cincinnati, he was 32 and 25. He had replaced Homer Rice and he did pretty well. He had one year left on his contract. So Judge Robert Perrins, the Packer president, he decided to go after Forrest Gregg. And he called on Wednesday of that week, two days after firing Starr, he called, called for Paul Brown, couldn't get Paul, And then he was put through to his son, Mike Brown, and he asked for permission to interview Forrest Gregg. Forrest had one year left on his deal. (laughs) And Mike said, good, but within certain parameters, we're gonna put a time frame on this. It's gotta happen quick. We don't want our coach to be in limbo. And number two, we want limitations on how many assistants he could take to Green Bay if he gets this job. So uh, 
a Packer, three-member Packer team, Judge Robert Perrins, board member and Hall of Famer running back Tony Cannadale, and Dick Cork, C-O-R-R-I-C-K, the personnel man, they fly to meet Forrest Gregg at the O'Hare Hilton down in Illinois, in Chicago, all right? The meeting lasts four hours. Now, on the way down there, parents told Dick Corrick that he would run the personnel department. The title was undetermined, but he was going to have primacy in personnel. He'd run the draft, and he'd make the, the calls on the roster. So Forrest comes in the room, and they talk for four hours. And Forrest said, I'm not taking this job unless I have total control over the draft and all personnel matters. Now, he was head coach, period, in Cincinnati under Paul Brown. Obviously, PB ran the show. And now Forrest wanted what Bart Starr had and what Lombardi had, his coach. <laughs> so parents acquiesced on the spot. So what he had promised Dick Corrick went by the boards in the blink of an eye. So Forrest, uh, signed, Forrest got the permission to accept the job. And he got a five-year contract and he was introduced to the media on a snowy, uh, I'm not sure of the day, Saturday, I believe, December 24, oh. in the old Packer locker room. They didn't have any fancy uh, press auditorium. <laughs> and Forrest got that job and uh, Dick Cork became his personnel guy, but Forrest had total control over everything. Uh, Forrest said on that day, he said, ever since I left Green Bay, I always hoped that someday I would get the opportunity to coach this football team. It's an opportunity that I've really desired. And he said, he, uh, we will win. That's about as far as he went there. So just for example, on the first draft pick, I think it was like number 11 or number 12 in that 84 draft. Mm -hmm. Corrick and the personnel people wanted a guard, Ron Solt, S-O-L-T, who became a pro bowler with the Colts. But Greg saw that the defense was ranked 26th, and he went with the Florida State defensive end, Alfonso Carriker. That was only one example of which Greg over, overwhelmed Corrick uh, and the scouts. Oh. And he was not a good judge of talent, Forrest Gregg, and that's a big reason he went, uh, well, he had two, eight and eight, then four and 12, and then the strike year, five, nine and one. And then he took a powder and went to SMU as AD, uh, basically under cover of darkness. So Forrest, uh, he had made the playoffs a couple of times. So that's it. So when I think of the Bengals, the Bengals didn't fight to keep Forrest. They let him go. They could have. I was going to ask it. you how that goes down. Like they, I don't think Roselle would have, at, at, maybe because he was so-called general manager, he yeah. probably could have gotten away with it today. But back then, there was none of those kind of rules. Roselle would not have approved that. He would have been, uh, he would have remained in Cincinnati for another year, and Green Bay would have hired somebody else. So I'm gonna. There will be other memories about Greg, but you know, he wasn't the worst coach the Packers ever had. Take him over Lindy and Fani every day of the week. Really, and I take okay. I take him over Bart Starr too. Uh, as a coach over the full length of those nine years. Yeah, I take Forrest Gregg. He's a tough guy, you know, nutcracker, grass drills. <laughs> it, was, it was a long practice. It was a real show out there, T. But that's how he came from the Bengals, and that's what I'll always think of the Bengals about.
I'm glad that you told this one early because I feel like we're going to come back to Forrest Gregg many times over reliving some of those practices, some of those nutcracker drills, maybe even a little bold in the ring. I don't know if it existed then. Imagine he's just beating the hell out of these guys in practice. Grass drills. Oh yeah, Tyler. We'll get back to Forrest. Okay. We'll oh, even man. get back to Oconomowoc. Okay. Well, well, I, I like it. Well, well said. I, I never knew it went down like that with the meeting and Dick Hork. I mean, he, he couldn't have been thrilled to lose his, be neutered like that and his decision making. And he's, he's seen all this in real time. Just. Dick Cork was one hell of a scout and there'll be other memories about him. And had they just given him the power, they wouldn't have been so bad. And um, he was an outstanding scout and all his, many of his peers agreed with that assessment. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this marathon app of the uh, tie and Bob pod. That was, that was a lot of fun. Thank you everybody for listening and making it to this point. Um, we're going to keep it going. Let us Thanks know a lot, what you like, what you don't like. Fire away in the comments. We've got thick skin. We appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.